Welcome to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we will discuss the drama Hele Huating or Royal Nirvana. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you are new to the podcast, please do check out our website, ChasingDramas.com, and feel free to reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at ChasingDramas. In addition to transcripts we are working to upload for our podcast episodes, we also do have a number of drama reviews we've written up as well for anyone looking to see what drama they should watch or at least our thoughts on them. If you like what you hear in this podcast, please, please, please do us a favor and leave us a rating on whatever platform you listen to us to. This is the second of a four-part series for the drama, and today we will discuss the plot, history, and characterization for the first four episodes. We will break this drama into a few cases. The first one revolves around the capping ceremony. And as always, I will finish with a quick book comparison. A note for our listeners, the crown prince in Chinese is Taizi. In this story, his name is Xiao Dingquan. We'll be using these rather interchangeably so that we're not always using the crown prince in English for our podcast. So if you hear Taizi, Xiao Dingquan, it's the same person. Hopefully, our listeners will also pick up some Chinese uh, in this uh, podcast. All right, let's start off with the recap. The first heart-pounding 20 minutes of the first episode provides the key characters and conflicts we can expect in this 60-episode drama. On one side, you have the eldest prince, Xiao Dingtang, or Qi Wang, or Prince Qi, who does not want to head to his fief and instead remain in the capital city with his father, the emperor, and his mother, an imperial noble consort, or Guifei. On the other side, you have the crown prince, Xiao Dingquan, the third son of the emperor. Supporting him are his teacher, Lu Shiyu, the Minister of Personnel, or Li Bu Shangshu, which represents the scholar faction at court, and also his uncle, Gu Silin, the most powerful general in the emperor's command. At the top, balancing out these opposing parties is, of course, the emperor himself. In the opening scene in episode one, the crown prince's teacher and his cohort of scholars are pushing the emperor to send the eldest prince, or Qi Wang, to his fief, as is customary for a prince who is married and has gone through his camping ceremony. Additionally, they are pushing the emperor to schedule the crown prince's own capping ceremony, or Yuan Fu Guanli. It is the coming-of-age ceremony for the crown prince, who is now 20 years old. We will explain more about the ceremony in the second half of this podcast episode. The emperor has delayed this capping ceremony for Taizi and has allowed Qi Wang to remain in the capital for much longer than tradition allows, which the scholar officials are pushing back against. There was a stalemate on a cold, snowy night where the emperor and Taizi waited against each other. 
However, with a heavy-handed nudge from Taizi's uncle, the emperor agrees to the capping ceremony. What does the uncle do? Reveal that there is a large, impending military threat along the northwest border that requires his attention. The underlying implication is that the uncle, or general, will defend its borders if the emperor agrees to the ceremony. None of these words were said, but in the meeting between the general and the emperor, the terms of exchange were clear. Evidently, the general cares quite a bit for his nephew. There we have it. Taizi has the backing from both a select number of powerful scholars at court through his teacher and a strong section of the military through his uncle. The Prince of Qi has his father, the emperor, and his mother's support. Prince Qi and Taizi are sons from different women. With that background, we turn to our first case of the drama, which encompasses the first four episodes. On the crown prince's capping ceremony, his brother, the prince of Qi, or Qi Wang, and his father-in-law, Li Bozhou, plan to denounce him to the world. We're going to recap what happened in these four episodes and then explain more in detail about the capping ceremony itself. This drama is quite dense in the history and culture portrayed, so while we won't be able to dissect every little detail, this should be a good enough overview. I will say that the drama did a fantastic job of portraying the grandeur of the capping ceremony fit for a crown prince. It feels like you are transported to that time period with the attire, the formations of where people were standing, and the gestures, etc. Where to begin? It is the morning of Taizi's capping ceremony, or Guanli. As he's getting ready, Qi Wang has prepared a scroll that details the crown prince's misdeeds. Namely, that he is unfilial and disloyal. The scroll is then handed to a maid referred to as Wu Neiren that Qi Wang has an amorous relationship with but who is in the cohort of maids responsible for the crown prince's attire for the ceremony. Qi Wang instructs the maid to toss the denunciation scroll out during the ceremony to discredit the crown prince. The exchange is overheard by another maid, Zhang Neiren. She is one of the crown prince's closest allies, having worked for his mother since he was just a child. She is a reminder of his mother who passed away three years ago. The big question is whether or not she will tell the crown prince about Qi Wang's plan. You would expect yes, but Qi Wang, who came to the crown prince's palace to escort him to the ceremony, let Zhang Neiren know that he knows it was she who overheard his exchange. Uh, based on the threat to her life, she may stay silent. The capping ceremony begins with the crown prince walking up to the dais where his father, the emperor, and other close relatives are standing with all of court around them standing watch. At first you think, oh no, the crown prince is going to fall into a trap. But just as his father is about to place the crown prince's crown or cap on his hat, he tells his father to wait because he is waiting for Prince Qi's present. 
Evidently, the crown prince saw through that something was off with Zhang Neyun, who ultimately did reveal to Taizi that Qi Wang wanted to discredit him. So you think, yay, Taizi isn't going to fall into a trap that easily. As the crown prince directs the crowd to look to where he suspected Qi Wang's agent Wu Neyun was going to throw down the scroll, a body falls down from the wall with a document as well. It is actually Zhang Neyun who has fallen to her supposed death. And it was Wu Neyun who pushed her because Prince Qi knew that Taizi was going to accuse him. They also prepared a false note to accompany Zhang Neyun that said Taizi was going to accuse Prince Qi. So now we're back at, oh no, Prince Qi has the upper hand and is actually looking really badly for Taizi. The evidence and the dead Zhang Neyun point to Taizi trying to set Qi Wang up and Qi Wang's father-in-law, the chancellor, even calls to halt the capping ceremony so this can be investigated. Elsewhere, the maid Wu Neyun, who has the real denunciation scroll, has escaped, leaving no evidence to the contrary to support that Taizi is innocent. The capping ceremony is scrapped, and the emperor listens to his two sons confront each other. Qi Wang adamantly decries his innocence in any involvement in this. He proclaims that Taizi set him up in order to force him to head to his fief. Even the emperor pushes Taizi to admit to his mistake at court the next day. Taizi is saddened to hear that his father will not support him and take his side and refuses to apologize. He then reveals that the scroll uh, the escaped maid took and probably destroyed was actually just a copy. The real one was replaced by Zhang Nian and currently being searched for by Taizi's cousin, Gu Fengen. Once that is discovered, the truth will be revealed. The color drains from Qi Wang's face. At first, he was smirking at his victory, but now he has to compose himself. Unfortunately for him, Zhang Nian, who was thought to be dead from her fall, actually survived and is awake. Zhang Nian is brought to be interrogated by the emperor and the two princes. However, she claims that she fell herself and that she climbed the gate of her own volition. This turns the tides against Taizi once again because he was hoping she would reveal who pushed her and where the original scroll was hidden. Evidently, she is trying to protect someone or something, and before Taizi can ask further, she bites her tongue to prevent herself from ever speaking again. Taizi is distraught at the trauma befallen to someone so close to him and his mother. He leaves the rooms to discuss next steps with his cousin, Gu Feng, and, and using the clue that Zhang Neren left him right before she bit her tongue, he is able to find where she hid the scroll. It's a place that is connected to the time he protected her from a misdeed in front of the queen, or the empress, sorry. Taizi sighs a breath of relief to see this evidence while elsewhere, the maid Wu Neren, who was doing the bidding of Qi Wang, is suffocated to death. Clearly, Qi Wang didn't want her as a loose end. The situation turns from bad to worse 
as the scroll is revealed to simply be a blank scroll in front of none other than the emperor himself. Without any evidence that Xiuang wrote anything to demean the crown prince, Taizi must own up to his mistake. There really isn't much other option, or any other option. At court the next day, Taizi publicly announces that the chaos from the prior day was all his bidding. He wanted to push his brother to head to his fiefdom, which is why he did what he did. Taking this opening, Prince Qi's father-in-law, the chancellor, demands that the crown prince be punished harshly. It's honestly quite intense how harshly this chancellor is attacking the crown prince. The emperor does not have much choice but to agree as this is related to the reputation of the crown, even though it's pretty clear that the emperor himself at this point wants to protect Taizi from the aggression from this chancellor. Sadly, there's not a whole lot the emperor can do. No, it's not looking good for Taiz, is it? He might even be on the verge of losing his title. At least that's what the chancellor is pushing for. And there you have it. Another key conflict in the drama, which is cliche, like I've mentioned. Everyone is vying for that Taiz or crown prince title. But before Taiz can actually be escorted out to fulfill his punishment, the crown prince loudly proclaims that he actually has evidence to help explain everything that's happened. The crowd is stunned as Wu Neiren, the agent for Qi Wang that was killed the prior evening, is escorted into the hall. She's beaten up, but she's still alive and with the scroll in her hand. No one is more stunned, though, than Qi Wang himself. He thought she was dealt with. How is she still here? Taizi now, though, after being bullied quite badly earlier on, is now in his element. He has the scroll and witness to the events. In a quick paced back and forth, almost as if we're witnessing a legal deposition, Taizi pushes Qi Wang on whether he has the guts to show the world exactly what was in the scroll. I mean, it's right there on the floor. The prince, Qi, is now scrambling and sweating under the pressure. How could this have happened? Under the immense pressure of the barrage from Taizi, he turns to his father for support. He retorts, Emperor, the scroll I gave her clearly didn't. And before he could say anything further, the emperor cuts him off. Yes, this is like the very end of episode three. And I love this scene. The emperor looks down and smirks while Prince Qi's father-in-law, the chancellor, closes his eyes in despair. Qi Wang has lost. Yeah, that mm, just like wipes the smirk off of Qi Wang's face. I mean, look, he just admitted the existence of the original scroll, which means that everything Taizi has said is or was true. Xi Wang did write a scroll to discredit the crown prince, and the series of events that happened afterwards ultimately did involve Xi Wang. In front of all of court, Xi Wang just revealed to the world to have conspired against his brother. Now, 
I would have wanted Taizi to punish his brother a bit more harshly, especially after our journeys watching Empresses in the Palace and the story of Minglan. But that is where Taizi differs. We already know he's quite capable, but in this moment, he's also still soft-hearted. Remember in the last episode, I said he was a Zhen Jun, which is kind of a, a kind-hearted man? That's him right now. Instead of punishing his brother, Taizi gives him the opportunity of doubt that allows him to escape punishment. It's because Taizi saw his father's facial expression at seeing what would befall his eldest son that he kind of backed down. He also didn't want his father to be too hurt. Therefore, Taizi let his brother go. But that's not to say Qi Wang is going to get off too easy. In a private conversation, the emperor releases his fury against his eldest son. The emperor, gotta give him props, I mean, he is the emperor after all, knew for a while who ultimately was the culprit in this drama with the scroll and everything, and forcibly tells Qi Wang that it was Taizi who let him go. After all, it was Qi Wang's guilty conscience that caused him to utter the line that betrayed him because you know what? The emperor revealed to Qi Wang the scroll that Taizi brought up as evidence was actually just a blank scroll. There was nothing written on it. And the maid, turns out she can no longer speak. So there was actually no real evidence against Qi Wang, but because he had a guilty conscience and actually plotted this whole thing, he played himself. That aha moment where he made that mistake reminded me a lot of Legally Blonde. I don't know if this reference made sense to anybody, but it's like one of those aha moments where he's like, oh, no, I made a mistake. And the whole case unravels. Anyways, with that, the case of the capping ceremony is resolved. It turns out that Wu Neiren is the daughter of Zhang Neiren, which is why Zhang Neiren sacrificed herself to save Wu Neiren. Taizi successfully completes the capping ceremony, and Qi Wang is revealed to not be quite on the same wavelength as his younger brother. I don't know about you, but I thought this case was quite exciting with the many twists and turns, but ultimately we do see that Taizi is very capable of taking care of himself in these political battles. Not only that, we do see his kind-hearted nature, which again is to his detriment. These episodes also highlighted the conflicted relationship the brothers have with their father as well. It is clear to me that the emperor is testing Taizi and also, you know, wants to protect him. But it is in a much more reserved manner than Qi Wang. The reason being is as the emperor states, Qi Wang is first his son, then his courtier or Chenzi. Taizi, on the other hand, is first his Chenzi or courtier and then his son. The emperor in these episodes is testing the crown prince and so far, the crown prince, or Taizi, is passing the exam. For me, in this drama, even though it's fun to watch these cases and these twists and turns, what is 
most intriguing to me is watching how the emperor is treating his two sons. It's clear that this drama is all about political machinations, maneuverings, and consolidations of power for the emperor. But as you watch the drama, it's helpful to keep in mind the following. The emperor claimed the throne after essentially deposing his brothers. He currently doesn't have any military power. That is controlled right now by Taizi's maternal uncle, Gu Silin, who we saw at the beginning of episode one. The emperor also doesn't have much money in the treasury because he has been gifting it to his ministers in return for loyalty. This puts the emperor in a very precarious position. He also knows that court is a uh, political minefield for Taizi. So that means the emperor is in a rather conflicted position. He wants to train Taizi so that he will be ready when the day comes for Taizi to become emperor. But the emperor cannot risk Taizi in gathering too much support in court just yet. So what does the emperor do? The emperor plays a game of chess and pits Qi Wang against Taizi. This is both to train Taizi but also allow the emperor to see who is on whose side in court. By the end of the whole capping ceremony fiasco, it's clear that Qi Wang has the chancellor on his side and Taizi has his tutor, the minister of personnel or Li Bu Shangshu on his. The emperor must maintain control of both of them. Tiring, right? Yes, and that's how the rest of this drama will play out. And uh, you could say it's fun or not, depending on your position. It is very clear that the emperor knows exactly what kind of games Qi Wang is playing, though, which does make me feel better about the intelligence of the emperor. The emperor is probably one of the smartest men in the drama. Just emotionally stunted and cannot communicate. <laughs> That was a lot of plot that we covered today. Let's now move on to history. We'll start off with episode one. We're introduced to our female protagonist, Lu Wenxi. She has painted cranes and recites two lines from a rhapsody to her father. The rhapsody is called Wu He Fu, or Dancing Cranes Rhapsody. And the two lines are I'll talk about uh, what those two lines mean, but let me first talk about the history. The Rhapsody was written during the Northern and Southern Dynasties time period by the poet Bao Zhao, who lived approximately from 416 to 466 AD. He actually hails from the Southern Song Dynasty of that time period, or Nan Chao Song, which ruled from 420 AD to 479 AD. And that dynasty was one of the first of the Southern Dynasties for that time period. The Rhapsody itself is a rather sad one. It starts with the heavenly cranes, once noble and regal as if dancing in the air, captured in a net and sent to the human world below. While there, the cranes only saw despair. On the palace steps, the cranes let out a cry and began to dance in the golden pavilion. 
The dance enraptured all. The subsequent dancers at the party knew they would never be able to surpass this beauty. And, but it wasn't a happy ending. The cranes were stuck in the human world. Now, the two lines from the rhapsody mentioned in the drama again are Li Qing Xiang Yu Dan Chi, Wu Fei Rong Yu Jing Ge. For my translation, it, it goes like this. The crane's cry was heard at the red painted floor above the steps leading to the palace hall. The dance illuminated the golden pavilion. The character Lu Wenxi then says, Sometimes the crane is stronger than even the eagle. She doesn't know the crown prince well, so it's kind of a interesting metaphor for her to talk about right now. My interpretation of her saying these words could be that the crane will light the palace or, in this instance, not to underestimate the crown prince. So uh, if we think about it, the crane's cries heard and it will illuminate the golden pavilion. This might be good and well, but the dancing crane's rhapsody is quite prophetic as the crown prince will, unfortunately, forever be stuck in his palace. The cranes have this one shining moment, um, but again, they're stuck in the human world. Okay, let's now finally talk about what the heck is this guanli, or capping ceremony. This tradition dates back all the way to the Zhou Dynasty some 3,000 years ago. When a man reaches the age of 20, then he must perform the capping ceremony, or guanli. The capping ceremony is also the first time that the man will participate in proper rites. With the completion of the ceremony, the man will now enter society. He can also marry and attend social events. Typically, the man must reach the age of 20 for his capping ceremony. However, sons of the aristocracy can have the ceremony earlier, especially if it's a prince from the royal family. The reason? The royal family needs princes to either marry earlier or else participate in court earlier. The prince needs to be a man in order to do so. For the crown prince or taizi, it's even more important to have the guanli because it is only until he has the capping ceremony complete is he able to participate in court and, should the emperor die, rule without a regent. In episode 3, when taizi tries to make a statement to save his teacher, the emperor point-blank says, you are not allowed to interfere with politics. The rites and rituals of the capping ceremony, or shi guanli, can be found in yi li, or the book of etiquette and ceremonial. This text was written and compiled during the Zhou dynasty and contains information about propriety, rights, and customs of people during that time. It contains information about the capping ceremony, including what would have been said, nuptial rites, banquet rites, morning rites, etc. The actual ceremony is quite complicated. Usually it is held at a temple or shrine, most likely the family shrine. An auspicious day will be chosen by divination for this ceremony. Older male relatives play a crucial part in the ceremony. 
Typically, the person overseeing the ceremony, the master ceremony, if you will, is the boy's father. But sometimes masters can also take that place. Early in the day, the boy must bathe and have his hair done in an updo. The boy then must present himself to the group. There is information on what clothes the boy needs to wear both before and during the ceremony and what type of caps there, uh, he has to wear. Now, for the ceremony, the boy must change clothes three times and change cap three times. Unfortunately, we don't really see it here in this drama. Please go and watch Xue Zhong Han Dao Xing or Sword Snowstride because there's actually a pretty good capping ceremony there and you'll see the changes in clothes and changes in caps um, that are given or bestowed to the main character. There is then a short declaration that is found in the book of the etiquette and ceremonial, which is spoken to congratulate the new man. After the capping itself, the man must then pay respects to his parents. The master of ceremony will then bestow a courtesy title to the man. So let's talk about courtesy names or biaozi. We actually mentioned this in episode six of the story of Minglan, but let's give a refresher. This is a name that is typically bestowed to men when they come of age. It is usually composed of two characters. Women also can have courtesy titles, but it is more rare as they would just be referred to by their husband's last name or by their own last name. When men and women come of age, it was viewed as disrespectful to refer to each other with their given names. If someone has a courtesy name, that will be used instead. In this drama, the crown prince Xiao Dingquan is given the courtesy title of Min Cheng. Now, as Taizi, this name won't be used too often, but nevertheless, it is still important for him to have this title of Min Cheng. Let's take a look at the setting for the drama itself. The ceremony was truncated due to plot purposes. However, we see the whole ceremony as a grand affair with instruments, ministers, and officials performing various types of rites, R-I-T-E-S. Taizi and the emperor, plus other princes, were elevated on a grand stage, which makes sense because they are always one level above ministers. Taizi then has to walk to the emperor and prostrate himself to his father, again to show respect for him, the emperor, and this specific ceremony. Next, let's move on to Taizi's headgear or crown that the emperor was about to place on his head during the capping ceremony. This is probably the most common, um, I guess, costume or um, crown that people have for a Chinese emperor. Think the cartoon version of Mulan. The emperor in that movie was wearing a version of this. In the drama, they call it Yu Zhu Jiu Liu, which means jade-based nine-tasseled crown. The nine-tasseled crown is a type of mian guan, a crown that was traditionally worn by the emperors of China and other parts of East Asia. Mian guan 
is the overall term for the crown or headdress that we see in this episode. There is a 12-tasseled crown, or shaliu. This is actually written in the Book of Rites, or li ji, and that is reserved only for the Son of Heaven, or the Emperor slash King. The nine-tasseled crown, or the yu zhu jiu liu, can only be worn by the emperor, the crown prince, or taizi, and other sons of the emperor, which is why we see um, qi wang, or the prince of qi, also wearing a version of this. There is currently only one that has survived to today. It is the crown of Zhu Tan, the 10th son of Emperor Zhu Yuanzhang, the founding emperor of the Ming Dynasty. This prince lived only a short life, dying at the age of 20 um, in the 14th century. The nine-tasseled crown was uncovered in his tomb. This crown had nine strings in the front and the back, with nine jade beads on each string for a total of 162 beads in total. The Yu Zhu Jiu Liu in the drama looks remarkably like the ones in the photos. In general, this Mian Guan was only worn during the most important of ceremonies after, uh, I would say, um, probably the Tang Dynasty. That's why you'll see that the emperors in this drama rarely wear it. That was also the case in the story of Ming Lan. The use of Mian Guan was discarded during the time of the Qing Dynasty because, of course, the emperors of the Qing Dynasty were not of Han descent, but were, of course, Manchurian. The last item here is the Yu Dai, or the Jade Belt. I was doing some research, and it's not true that only the emperor and the crown prince could wear a Jade Belt. Indeed, during the Song Dynasty, which this drama is based off of, officials above the third rank were allowed to wear jade belts. However, during the Ming Dynasty, only princes and officials of the first rank were allowed to wear jade belts. Now, since this drama isn't 100% historically accurate because it's set in a different time, I think it's okay. This point of a jade belt is also a big plot point in the book, so I think the drama just wanted to keep it as such that, let's all recall, Yu Dai, or jade belt, is only reserved for two people in this drama, the emperor and the crown prince. And with that, I will quickly close out on the book. There are actually no real book differences because the events here in the drama occur before the book. This, uh, the episodes here lay a pretty good groundwork on who's who in the storyline though, like who are the factions, what are the relationships so far. In the book, they're kind of like teased out um, and things, I will, I will uh, tell you listeners where the book actually starts, but a lot of it is just like hearsay in the book. So this is great to have it like all laid out for us to see. All right, and there we have the first case, and I would say three and a half to four episodes of He Li Hua Ting. Hope you all learned something today because I know I certainly did while doing research for this drama. I would say this drama is one that is extremely dense and can turn people off, but our aim is to dissect it into more manageable chunks and to explain some of what was happening. 
If you do want to watch the show and are in the U.S., it is on Jubao TV with English subtitles that are pretty good. Uh, I definitely was using that while watching this drama again and doing research. If you want to stream it online, just head on over to Jumo or XUMO and select Royal Nirvana and the specific episode you want to watch. Note, there is the Royal Nirvana and then also the Royal Nirvana special. Definitely watch Royal Nirvana first. <laughs> If you're trying to watch this on TV, it is available for those with Xfinity and Cox Contour, all of it for free. And that is it for today. For the remaining episodes of this podcast series, we will move on to the Imperial Entrance Exam case and finally the Archery Competition case. If you liked what you heard today, please do remember to rate us on whatever platform you listen to us to. Thanks again, and we will catch you in the next episode.